feel when that looks very realistic. Not very good at noticing that. So you were um asking the question about um getting on the right path or uh the April Noble Path is actually quite a simple thing to understand in concept. Mm -hmm. uh, but that uh, it's hard to make the kind of changes that need to be made because our conceptual mind is kind of locked in to a way of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's almost like uh, you probably know about enough about uh, Sorry. probably know enough about mathematics to know the concept of infinity. Mm -hmm. Except that the problem with that <laughs> is that there is many different kinds of infinities. Mm -hmm. Some of which are bigger than others. Mm -hmm. Okay. For instance, the number of prime numbers is infinite, but the number of integers is also infinite, but there's a whole lot more numbers, integer numbers, than there are prime numbers. Mm -hmm. Many times more, infinitely more numbers, integers, than there are prime numbers. And yet there are infinite number of prime numbers. Okay. That concept is kind of mind blowing. But the problem is, is that infinity does not exist. Not really. Mm -hmm. It is just a conceptualization. Okay. And that the same thing is true about the practice of Anapanasati is that we have to come out of conceptualizations completely and come into the reality of, the, of what's going on. One of the concepts that we have humans nowadays that didn't happen four or five hundred years ago is the concept of time. That we think that time is important. Mm -hmm because it helps humans to arrange schedules. For instance, calendars and appointments and meetings and um, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, because we have the concept of, of time back in primitive times, we didn't have calendars. We didn't need them. Mm -hmm. Because any appointments and any uh, things that were needed happened right then and there. If you if you needed a doctor, you needed the doctor right then and there. So you went to the doctor right then and there, and there's the doctor right then and there. Mm -hmm. Now we need an appointment to see the doctor. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's part of the issue is is that we've gotten conceptualizations, and that um, so part of those conceptualizations of uh, meditation and time 
will come up with questions like, when should I practice? <laughs> That's a conceptualization of time. <laughs> the answer to that question is right now. Now is the only time that you can practice. <laughs> there is no other time but right now. You cannot now practice three weeks ago. <laughs> That's the important point that we have to understand is, is that um, and so whenever sati happens, sati happens right here in the right now. And that basically what sati is, is that it's waking up. To be in the here now to waking up and to start having thought moments that are associated with uh, the sensual input that we're receiving right now. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, us humans are in what we would call lost in thought or in conceptualizations. And while we're thinking about something else, we're not paying attention to what's happening right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And so the things that are happening right here, right now, uh is really the the best because <laughs> the past doesn't exist it's gone and mm -hmm. the future is yet to be the mm -hmm. only time there really is is right now and so the practice of anapanasati is just to pay attention to that and to pay attention to all of the things that are happening right now mm -hmm. that are that put together right now for your best experience of right now. Mm. And that one of the problems with meditation students, for instance, is that this particular moment is clouded by or shrouded by the memories of an event that we had before. Mm -hmm. An example is somebody has a meditation session and they feel really good then the next day they want to go back and, and <laughs> feel really good. But now they're adding something new to it. They're not actually practicing the way that they practiced the first time to feel good. Mm -hmm. Now they're adding a new ingredient to it, and that is the, the memory and the fondness and the desire mm -hmm. of feeling good the way that we felt yesterday. Mm -hmm. That's almost a guarantee to fail. <laughs> and yet this is the normal conceptualizations of the mind. The mind has a good experience. We remember that experience. And so we're trying to repeat that experience mm -hmm. wholesale rather than looking at the various ingredients mm -hmm. that uh, we need to come about placing the mind in a very good state. Mm -hmm. That this is exactly what the Buddha had worked out 2,500 years ago, and it's still true. Mm -hmm. Wanting something that we don't have is not it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Experiencing something right here, right now is it. But then trying to experience this thing right here, right now, sometime in the future. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So getting back to the point then that um, there are actually five out of the eight points of the Eightfold Noble Path um, are, uh, let us say, we have to look at it in a completely different way. That uh, the right way to look at it is that four lead into one, and then that one is the cause of the next three. Hmm. Okay. Right view, right sati, right effort, and right attitude come together to make the mind unified and noble. Mm. And when the mind is unified and noble, that means that now we don't want anything. That mm. we're uh, unified, that we're whole, we're complete. Everything that we needed has already been gathered together. For that reason, we our Siva is perfect because we don't want anything. Our Siva? Siva, our morality, our, uh, our behavior. Mm-hmm. Our behavior is okay because we don't need anything to make us okay. We're <laughs> already okay. Mm-hmm. So this is the actual practice that we're looking at is how to become okay in this particular moment. Mm-hmm. Now, in this regard of okay, I'm talking about it in the sense of everything is whole, everything is complete, all the factors that are needed are already there. Mm -hmm. So when things are that way, that means that everything is complete and whole. This is the Pali term of samadhi, is bringing together the factors, which is not at all the same thing as concentration. Uh, and yet in Western Buddhism, the word concentration has become substituted for the concept or the understanding of samadhi. Mm-hmm. But basically what we mean by samadhi is bringing the factors together. And we can look at that from several ways. One is looking at the Eightfold Noble Path itself. When we bring sati, when we bring um, right view, when we bring right effort and right attitude together, then things are whole. Mm-hmm. Also, as we're practicing Anapanasati, bringing the breath in, getting the body relaxed, uh, bringing about a sense of well-being that is free from, uh, let us say, uh, insecurities, so that we feel safe and secure and content and satisfied, then that feeling is called sukha, and then pity is added with that in the sense of the wow factor, or I can do it, or the positive. Um, I'm on top of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So with right effort and right uh, sati and right uh, view, uh, those four things come together to make the mind organize. And Vic mm-hmm. uh, Buddhadasa calls it the mind is fit for work. Mm-hmm. So what is if if now the mind is organized and fit for work, what is the work it needs <laughs> to be? The answer mm-hmm. is that is easy enough in the beginning, and that is to keep the mind in that state. 
And the way that we can keep the mind in that state is by uh, noting and paying attention to one wholesome thing after another, that once the mind is wholesome in thought, so that our thoughts are one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought, that begins to change our attitude so that everything that we notice and everything we see becomes wholesome mm-hmm. through that attitude. So that we begin to look at the thoughts themselves and see, yes, the mind is applying to the wholesome and sustaining the wholesome. Yes, there is this sukha. Yes, I can feel it. And mm-hmm. so it basically then will go through the various uh uh, let us say factors of sukha and the various factors of the first jhana, continuously taking them off. Yeah, it's still here. Yeah, we got. This. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, this feels good. And so we're ticking them off one after another to make sure that they're there. Mm-hmm. This is something that we do again in the present moment, and that an example of that is is that uh, something happens and our comfort level goes away. We're no longer comfortable. Now we're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Many examples of being uncomfortable after one gets oneself comfortable, and that would be like that, for instance, the posture. We get mm-hmm. tired of a particular posture and the body hurts. Another example of that would be that of uh, uh, lots of food and then hunger will come up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. One is, is that it's something that's really physical, mm-hmm. and the other one is really mental. The hunger and thinking about food is actually just a um, a mental sensation, but discomfort in the body means that it needs some relief. Now, I know that many meditation practices, I think this all comes from the Gawanka's method of the strong determination sitting. But <laughs> We have the idea that the longer you sit, the better mm-hmm. things are. Yeah. But that's not at all the case because the longer people sit, the more uncomfortable they are. Mm-hmm. And that we need to remain remain comfortable and keep and maintain that comfort. That that's the reason in uh, Buddha's day that they sit cross-legged on the ground or whatever was because that was a very comfortable position. <laughs> But that was in the tropics when people didn't have furniture. In northern climates, people sit on furniture. Mm-hmm. And because of that, when they get back down on the floor, it the floor becomes uncomfortable mm-hmm. because of the way that the body has gotten used to things. Okay. So instead of looking for, I've got to do it right and do it with the postures and all of that kind of stuff, as a formality or as a a form or as a visual image. The real issue about correct practice is what we're doing in the mind in this particular moment. And so if someone is sitting in perfect Buddha statue posture, (laughs) but his leg hurts, Mm -hmm. then he's not practicing correctly. And when I say and his leg hurts, that uh, we have to point out that his leg can have sensation, but it's the attitude of pain. It's the attitude 
that the leg hurts. So that the mind is now uncomfortable because the body has a sensation. It's the mind judging it as pain. But it's, it's the mind that's judging that sensation. It's the mind that's in the state of uncomfortableness. But mm -hmm. if we adjust the body, then we can adjust the body back into a state of comfortableness. Mm -hmm. We can actually do that same thing with food in the sense of adjusting the attitude by saying, right now, I don't need any food. I'm good. Mm -hmm. There's no problem here. I don't have to get up. Mm -hmm. That when I think about food, I get hungry. But when I'm not thinking about food, I don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so when we're not thinking about hunger, we've got a, uh, the possibility of thinking everything is okay. Everything is fine. And if that doesn't happen uh, and the hunger does not go away and the mind is distracted by the hunger, then the right thing to do then is to go get something to eat. <laughs> Just like when the, when the body was uncomfortable and the mind didn't like it, then uh, we can move the body. So we can take care of things on two levels. We can take care of it on the physical level and we can take care of it on the mental level. And we need, in fact, to do both. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that the body itself is comfortable. And then we make sure that the mind can get comfortable also. And, and the question then is, well, when do we do this? And mm -hmm. the answer is right. not according to some schedule, mm -hmm. but according to when we remember to do it. Mm -hmm. And so setting it up so that we remember to do this several times, four or five times a day, and then start practicing that mm. so that we develop this skill of remembering to come back into the here now, to remember to be here now, because we've already, uh, as in Western society, each individual gets in the habit of living in a conceptualized world. The world mm. of our which means if we take a little bit of data in, we do a whole lot of processing and we come up with <laughs> a world that is somewhat different than reality itself. <clears throat> and that one of the things that we generally do is we insert our personality or we insert our um, self into the reality of the situation when in fact we may not be. Mm -hmm. All right, so if we see things clearly as they are on the outside, that's one thing. But when we see clearly from, uh, but we're looking at it as if it's part of me, mm -hmm. then we have a different attitude. An example of that would be politics. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, that if you just see what's happening out there in that politics, then we can see clearly, but if we uh, think of it in the sense of that's my party, <laughs> or this is my party, then we're not going to see things clearly. We're going to see things through the lens of ownership and control and um, dangers and all kinds of emotional stuff that we'll put in there mm -hmm. rather than, okay, so if we're doing that with 
with concepts like politics, then it's better to not have concepts <laughs> like politics in the mind and start living the way things really are. Mm -hmm. And in this particular moment, the way things really are, there is no such thing as the Republican <laughs> Party. That exists. It only exists in the minds of people. And when you're not, when it doesn't, when it's out of the mind, it's out of reality. It doesn't exist. And when it, when we are thinking about it, it does come back in and we construct that reality in the mind. And now we've got a Republican Party right here in the mind, but outside in the reality of this space, like <laughs> the room you're in, there is no Republican Party there. So we've invented it and then we feel bad. Okay. If we can look at it like that about politics, anything that's outside the room that you're in mm -hmm. is outside of your world of reality. Mm -hmm. Which means that if we're going to live in the real world, we have to live, start living in the world of the senses. And the way that we start living in the world of the senses is to remember to live in the world of the senses. Mm -hmm. This Vaisati is the number one issue. That's the one that has to be developed first, but its foundation is right view. And then when we wake up, we use that right view to do the investigation. So we kind of start off with a right view or right attitude in the beginning. You would have never called me if you didn't have right attitude or the right mm -hmm. view. And the right view is, is something can be done. Okay. Many people will have the idea. Uh, uh, there is a problem. Poor me. <laughs> Other oh. people say there is a problem. Who can I hire to fix it? <laughs> but the right attitude is, uh, why do I see a problem? <laughs> let's let's look at the reality of the situation to find out is there actually really a problem mm -hmm. okay generally there's not mm -hmm. generally all of the problems that we have are just conceptualizations most of humans uh activity is to do and then to undo and then to redo <laughs> undo it and then to redo it and then to undo it and then to redo it that's the way that we generally live our lives is fixing things that break another so we fix that <laughs> the first thing and so we tick tock back and forth this is and we would have been just as well off and probably much happier if we hadn't have been tinkering with it in the first place trying to fix something that wasn't Broken. So, getting out of the conceptualizations of the mind and getting into the reality of the situation allows one, with that wholesome state of mind, to put oneself into a wholesome state or frame of attitude. Mm -hmm. And the attitude then is the attitude of everything's all right everything is fine no problems 
But we have to practice this because you have, in fact, for the past 20 or so years been practicing. There are problems. Mm -hmm. There are problems that have to be solved. Okay, when in fact, really, uh, the problems are conceptualizations. Mm -hmm. We make or, up the problems. Uh, let us talk about it in the sense of, of language. That basically we go around telling ourselves uh, things to do. We give mm -hmm. ourselves marching orders. Uh, <laughs> this, the one who's doing the telling is generally referred to as the parent ego state. Buddha would call it the Silabhata Paramasa, or our attachment to and our propensity to have uh, rules, ways of doing things, ceremony. Would it be Freud's superego? Pardon? Would it be the superego in Freudian terms? That's the superego, precisely. And that's the source of the um, the criteria that we have for judgments. Mm -hmm. Okay, it ought to be this way. It should be that, etc., like this. So, it's good to just to sit down and uh, ex observe and examine the mind to see these kinds of thoughts that are critical. An example of that is, I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and the answer to that would be. Let's not think about food, let's think about that. We've got everything that we need. That I'm OK right now. Don't need a thing. And this way, the hunger will go away. Especially if we don't longer think about and put our uh, consciousness on the belly, <laughs> put it higher into the breathing and begin to breathe well. Neuroscientists are learning more and more about how important it is to breathe well. That normally we shut down when we're conceptualizing things, we don't breathe so much. But if we're in the present moment, we're much more likely to remember to take a good wholesome deep breath. So thinking about the breathing is a much more wholesome thing to do than to think about uh, some concept or to think about someplace else that's outside of the room. So allow yourself to only stay focused on that which is immediately and directly available through the senses. Mm -hmm. So this is the skill that needs to be developed. How can we develop that skill? <laughs> The answer is, is to remember and to set things up so that we can practice often. <clears throat> that in fact, for people who are practicing meditation once a day, <clears throat> an hour, and that's it, that means that they're spending one hour a day, if they're doing it correctly, one hour a day. <clears throat> and that means 23 hours a day. Back we develop hindrances, we stay in hindrances, and uh, we live in hindrances, and then we start practicing out of uh, meditation for an hour a day, 
and mm-hmm. then leave 23 hours of hindrance, guess what's going <laughs> We're not going to be able to change those hindrances, but if we start practicing in such a way so that we're practicing often to check out these hindrances and to throw them out, now we're developing a new habit. Rather than just letting the hindrances roll on, we're checking them, we're stopping them. We're bringing the mind back to this present moment more and more and more often throughout the day. So that means that more and more often throughout the day, we have no dukkha. Mm -hmm. And then we're only having dukkha when we're back into hindrances. When we recognize that, then we can say, okay, that means that I do have motivations now to develop the skill of being in the present moment. We can see the benefit. Mm -hmm. That is actually now the gaining of the attitude. One's right attitude is because we can see the benefit because we've got some success. Mm -hmm. That means now that the effort becomes less effortful Mm -hmm. and we get better results with less effort. Mm -hmm. So it becomes really easy to do once we get into the habit of remembering to come out of conceptual ideas into the present moment. And we do that by the practice of anapanasati, of remembering to take, um, let us say, wholesome breath, and also to put wholesome thoughts into the mind. So the breathing and the mind together will help relax the body and the feeling so that we begin to feel the way that we would like to feel. We feel mm-hmm. safe, we feel secure, we feel mm-hmm. comfortable, we feel satisfied. That's actually the working definition of the word sukha, safety, security, comfort, satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we begin to add success. That's the success. That's the pity, the mm-hmm. success. We could also call it the wow factor. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) But we have to remember to do this. So the time to do it is when you first wake up in the morning. The time to do it is after you go to bed at night, before you go to sleep, is to practice. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. There's no problems, no worries in the world. Isn't this nice? Isn't it really good? And then another time, several times during the day. And you can get it if you've got a daily routine or a daily schedule, like you go out for work or whatever like that, then you can begin to arrange the other times of meditation around that to make those anchors. For A good example of that is someone who rides the subway to work. That subway ride should be his practice time. Every day he gets on that subway and rides for 10 minutes or 20 minutes. That's the time to practice getting himself into a really good state before he walks into work. (laughs) Or if he takes the subway home for 10 or 20 minutes, he gets himself into a really good state before he gets home. Okay. And so this is the way that we look at it is that we find times during the day which are good anchor times or whatnot. An example of that would be a coffee break. 
that uh, uh, a 10 minute break or maybe a smoker's break, that in fact, people who smoke cigarettes do Anapanasati with their cigarettes. <laughs> what do they do? They light up and then they take a drag and then take a deep in breath and then. <laughs> right. So th there's actually some research about that. This is something that the tobacco industry used for many, many years, and that was is that statistically people who smoked five cigarettes a day were on the average more healthy than people who didn't smoke at all. And the tobacco industry used that to stay in business. Is that true? For years, killing people. Oh. <laughs> well, really what was going on was is that people who were smoking less than five cigarettes a day did it mindfully because they didn't smoke so much. And so they wanted to get full value out of that puff. And by doing so, they were actually taking in a whole lot more oxygen and a whole lot more fresh air than they would have normally. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing point, but now they're beginning to do the research on the breathing itself. And Buddha was right 2500 years ago. Mm -hmm. When we when we are uh, feeling afraid uh, or feeling insecure, the body goes into shutdown mode or into freeze mode. And we don't breathe very well. We go into sort of ultra conservative mode. Mm -hmm. And we need to practice coming out of that ultra conservative afraid mode and start breathing wholly and breathing well. So that two 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 point combination, one is wholesome breathing and the other one is wholesome thoughts. We put that together and we begin to feel wholesome mm -hmm. At, and then we get the attitude of wholesomeness we get the attitude i can do anything <laughs> but did we have to practice this over and over and over again because the default position for everyone is back into conceptualization <laughs> back into uh worries and frustrations and and thinking about things that are not real <laughs> Those are not here. <laughs> so we begin to understand that the world itself, our our idea, and I think that it has something to do with geography in the sense that when the kids learn that there's a Bolivia and that there is a Sudan and all that kind of stuff, uh, then we get the idea that our world is huge, it's immense, <laughs> planet Earth. But a better way of looking at it is our world is the world that we can observe through our senses. And so when we say may all beings be happy, we're talking about all the beings that are in our world and not all the things that we're conceptualizing. Mm -hmm. So this is a way of looking at it is to, to begin to limit what our world is. The world is the world of senses. If I can see it, it's in my world. <laughs> if it's uh, if it's 12 kilometers from here and over the hill, I can't see it. That means it no longer exists. <laughs> Not here. 
Um, when we begin to look like that, we begin to recognize, you know, the things that are in my world are actually okay. All the dangerous stuff seemed to be over the horizon. Mm -hmm. And that means that, that when it's over the horizon, that means that it's out of reality and into the, our conceptualizations. And so we live in a conceptualized world when our world is vast. And we live in a world of reality when our world is within the world of the senses. And so this is also part of the uh, practice is to stop conceptualizing our world and start living in it in the world of reality of coming into the actual world that we live in a world where we're relaxed we're satisfied and content safe and secure and we're champions you probably heard it said uh before everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. Mm -hmm. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? <laughs> or are you going to be on top of your world? Mm -hmm. Right? If we're buried under it, that means that we're buried under our own past. We're buried under our own dirt. We're buried under the pile of, of crap. That's <laughs> we're buried in um, conceptualization. When we're on top of the world, that means that we climb out of that stuff and we're on top of the world. Now we can see things the way they really are. But you have to become emperor. You have to become the boss. That frontal cortex, the real <laughs> part, part of us, has to take over and cut out this dialogue between the parent and the child. The parent telling the child, you ought to go do something. And the child saying, I don't want to <laughs> start having that uh, parent say, everything is OK right now. Everything is fine. Look at what a wonderful world we live in, the world of senses. <laughs> so that's how we practice. We have to practice it often. We have to practice it over and over again. We have to do the things that uh, bring about this comfort, including watching the body, making sure the body is relaxed, making sure that the breathing is well, letting the uh, the mind come to this present moment, <clears throat> and to come out of our concepts. This is the Eightfold Noble Path, to look at those thoughts, to evaluate them, and then to change them from conceptualizing thoughts into the reality of this moment kind of thoughts. And we can gladden the mind while we're doing this to practice bringing the mind up to becoming bright. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, I really like this. Everything is okay. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. No work to do, no place to go. When we have these kind of thoughts, then we these are thoughts of relaxation. Mm. Thoughts of allowing yourself to relax, to let the body relax, to let mm. your, uh, the external guard down and building up a new kind of guard. And that new kind of guard is the guard of staying in this state of everything's OK, everything is fine. Mm -hmm. 
rather than uh, on guard for dangers, <laughs> now going to be on guard to make sure that everything is safe. For mental dangers, hindrances. So this is the way we practice. And the question then that people ask about when and how often and whatnot like that, mm -hmm. the answer to that question is always every time you think of it, every mm -hmm. time you remember, that's mm -hmm. the time to take a deep breath. And a lot of people, uh, one student, in fact, it's, it's quite interesting. He says, I was watching YouTube and then I had the thought I should be meditating. And then he said to himself, I don't want to meditate now. I want to <laughs> video. But he kept having that thought, you ought to go meditate. I don't want to meditate. Now he's not meditating and he's not watching the video. He's just sitting there making this support, but he doesn't want to go meditate. Where the actual the right thing to do when he has that thought, I ought to meditate, the answer to that would be oh, <laughs> memories, things to remind me. Yes, right. Let's use that as a point of strategy. Oh, I'm glad I was thinking about that. <laughs> you can meditate so while watching <laughs> right now. <laughs> this is the right way to practice is to start practicing right now. Whenever right, right now is, is when we remember that this is right now. The more often you practice it, the more often you remember it. And so it starts to build on itself. It's got a positive feedback loop. Mm -hmm. Also, the more often you do it, the more successful that you get it, the more right attitude that you have in the sense of I can do this. Mm -hmm. And so that builds up too. And so our confidence builds and our skills develop and everything comes along like that. And all we have to do is practicing and keep practicing and keep practicing, which means to keep remembering, come back out of our conceptualizations into the reality of the senses. And the easiest way to do that is with the breath. So we've covered this several times. I'm thinking that <laughs> we're going to get it soon. Yeah, <laughs> probably. So do you have any more questions about this? So when we're doing a sit down practice instead of the breath, would it be best to do the sit down practice when you feel the best? No, you do it when you remember to do it. I mean, uh, but that's theoretically, I'd be doing it the whole day. If every single yes. time I'm doing 15 if, if you can, <laughs> but if you don't, don't hassle yourself. Because hassling yourself is just going back into hindrances, planning on the future. Oh, you're not good enough being critical. Mm -hmm. So whenever you think about it, that's when you do it. You do it when you remember to do it. And mm -hmm. your intention is, is to remember it often. 
And is that when you remember it, do you just take a deep breath or you sit That's down? That's the first thing that will happen. In fact, mm -hmm. the memory of uh, uh, returning to the reality of the moment should be accompanied with the long deep breath. They will happen almost together. Within a split second, they start both of them together. But you don't have to sit down. You can still do whatever you're doing. You can do it between steps. Uh, while you're walking. That mm -hmm. in fact, walking is a very good thing to do. Walking meditation. The Buddha talked about it a lot. So you do it in any posture. I know that most people, when they think of meditation, they think about squatting on the floor. <laughs> okay. That's part of the reason why I want to bring it back to that we're not practicing that kind of Western meditation. We're practicing Anapanasati. We're practicing what the Buddha taught not what has been developed as a concept over many centuries. Okay, that in fact, uh, before the 1950s, there were no such thing as retreats. That the retreats, in fact, were part of the Burmese government taking over from the British back in the 1950s and that the uh, the accountant who became the Treasury Secretary for the Burmese government in the 1950s, his name was Uba Ken. And that he was the one with a couple of monks, including uh, uh, Lady Saladaw, that started doing retreats for the workers who worked for the Burmese government in the accounting or in the Treasury Department. Mm -hmm. And that's where those things got started. And and uh, um, Goenka got into one of these uh, retreats when they were opened up. But those were the very first retreats. And now the Western idea is if you're going to do meditation, you got to do a meditation. <laughs> and that's not a history of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. These meditation retreats are a newfangled product. And they have as many drawbacks as they have benefits. And one of the drawbacks is that it gives people the wrong idea about what meditation actually is. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, the, pro the problem with the word meditation is so striking that it's better that we just use the word Anapanasati as a completely different a uh, conceptualized framework. Mm. That meditation is something you can go someplace to do. Mm. Anapanasati is something you do right now, right here. You take this breath because you remember this breath and you take it. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to take the headphones off. You don't have to do anything <laughs> at all. Just take that deep breath and come back to this present moment. And my world is wonderful. <laughs> so that's the framework. 
Remember in the very beginning, we were talking about uh, getting on the path or getting this practice going is all this really needed to do. Think of it as getting lost in the wilderness. And as you're lost in the wilderness, uh, what we mean we're lost in the wilderness is we don't have any identifying features to give us an idea of which direction to go. There's perhaps too much canopy on the forest to see what the sun is doing. There is no creeks or streams, no roads, no nothing. We're lost in the forest. This is like the human being lost learning lost. meditation, right? We're lost. But if we can come to a creek or a stream or a path, so, uh, the, so if I see a cream, a stream or a creek or a path, then, the, then which way do I go? We always go to the easy way out. We go downhill. If the creek is going downhill, we go downhill and follow the creek downhill. If the path is going downhill, we follow the path down the hill. It'll take us out of the woods, okay? Or let us say that we stumbled across a railroad station. All we now have to do is get on the train. Mm -hmm. Or get on that path or follow that stream. This is the right way of looking at it is, is that most meditations are lost in the wilderness and they don't know what to do and they have 10,000 different kinds <laughs> of questions depending on what bears and gorillas and snakes and trees they you know, along their lost path. Where mm -hmm. in fact, this is not about the snakes and the gorillas <laughs> and the trees, it's about finding the path out of here. <laughs> okay, so this is the right path. The right path is this Eightfold Noble Path. And that is once we figure out what the path is, that works. There the path is. We just get back on it and keep following it, just like the clickety-clack of a train. Every click <laughs> and every clack is going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. If we're practicing correctly, that's all that we need to do. Okay, so finding that, uh, uh, getting on the path, finding the path is an important feature. But a better way of looking at it then is, is that it's not really about the, uh, the word path, that in fact, that's kind of a bad translation. Uh, it's right here right now. Path and uh, let us say the way that a clock works or the way that a bicycle works. Okay. Actually, the word way here comes from the word that has to do with going someplace, but a better conceptual way of thinking of it is, is that it's not a path or a way or a um, a process of going in a certain direction and staying on the path, but it's rather a method. Mm -hmm. The method is, an example of that would be uh, that all we have to do is unlock the door. And mm -hmm. there's a method to doing that. We put mm -hmm. the key in, <laughs> we turn the crank, then we turn the knob, and we open the door. That's the method of opening the locked door, mm -hmm. right? 
But most people think that not only is the door locked, but it's hundreds of miles away from <laughs> us. And that we've got to get to the door. All right, we got to go someplace. We got to do meditation. We got to go to a retreat. That locked door is at a retreat across the country someplace. No, the door is right in front of you. All you have to do is just unlock it. And how do we unlock it? We unlock it with wholesome thoughts and watching the breath. That's it. That's all there is to it is unlocking the door means basically taking a deep breath and cleaning the mind, cleaning the mind and cleaning the breath, and that's all there is to it. And that door that we have to unlock is not hundreds of miles away, <laughs> right here. In this next breath, that's where it is. We have to unlock that. But we have to remember to keep unlocking it. For some reason, the door all by itself <laughs> slams shut and locks it. Because the, the door is in the habit of being that way. But as soon as you unlock it, it opens easy. But as soon as you forget about it, it locks <laughs> up again. So this is why we're practicing often. Practice often. Because you're practicing hindrances often. <laughs> and when you start practicing correctly more often than you're practicing hindrances, now we're making real progress. <laughs> That's real progress is when we can remember to come out of those hindrances and stay out for a fairly long time, five minutes at a time. <laughs> You told me 15. Pardon? You told me 15. Well, uh, yes, if you could get yourself into five minutes, then that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> you can practice, five, uh, practice 15 minutes, or you can practice 10. I don't really care how long. The question is getting yourself into a really good state. Mm -hmm. Once you get yourself into a really good state, why would you want to immediately get out of it? All I have to do is to get myself into a good state and then I'm gone. I'm back into the unwholesome. No, what happens is, is that after you learn how to get into a good state, you actually, with your own intention, want to maintain it and increase it and make it for longer and broader. So when I'm talking about minutes, I'm talking to the conceptualized mind and the real point would be to talk to the child to learn to enjoy yourself. <laughs> Spend more time enjoying yourself, and then we don't care about clocks. <laughs> but you want to remember often and practice until you get yourself into a really good state, and then practice some more and stay in that good state. <laughs> I can see that you get caught in these concepts about time. I thought you said five minutes. I thought you said 10 minutes. Well, I didn't say anything like that. This is just conceptualizations. So just get yourself into a really good state and enjoy it for a while. 
You don't need a clock to do this. You need to remember to do it. <laughs> That's another question at any time. Should I not use an alarm or should I still? You don't need an alarm. Mm -hmm. You're already alarmed. <laughs> you need to come out of being alarmed. <laughs> you need to relax. Funny, we call it an alarm clock. <laughs> and the clock goes off, we're supposed to be alarmed. <laughs> yes, I understand that. I do. I do not understand why it's become such an important part of meditation, the clock. The Buddha had no clocks. That in fact, even in Burma in the 1950s, they didn't have any clocks. Their clocks were grandfather clocks. I mean, <laughs> wristwatches people didn't have in Burma in the 1950s. You had to go to the meditation hall to even find a clock. <laughs> But in fact, I remember a lot that uh, there's a, a center in Bangkok uh, at uh, Mahatat. It's got a whole section of for the Vipassana and the Mahasi practice. And sure enough, they've got that great big grandfather clock. That clock was so big and the room was so small that the clock was actually a major feature of the room. And you could hear it loudly. Tick, pop, <laughs> tick, pop. But that's part of the territory. That's part of the mentality of uh, that clock-oriented practice. But the Buddha didn't talk about sitting for an hour. He talked about just going to the hut, going to the foot of a tree, going to the forest, and relaxing. That's what it's really all about, is spending time intentionally relaxing and intentionally keeping the mind out of conceptualized thinking, judgments. This is not good enough. A lot of times students will say, I've got some joy, but it's not enough joy. I won't get I've got satisfaction, but it's not satisfactory enough. I want more satisfaction. Well, if you, if it's not satisfactory enough, then it's not satisfying at all. A little bit of satisfaction is satisfaction, and we're satisfied. So practice having a little bit of satisfaction. Because then the satisfaction, as the skill grows, the satisfaction will grow. But if we practice dissatisfied, then that's what's going <laughs> Okay. So these are the key points. Number one, we do it when we think about it. Number two, we set up our lives so that those anchors for when to do it are easy to remember. Okay. So you can plan your day around it, uh, or let us say the day is already planned, plug in <laughs> your times for meditation mm -hmm. or your time for Anapanasati that fits the schedule. Everybody goes to sleep at night and everybody wakes up in the morning. There's two of them right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
the rest of them are it can be figured out. Lunch times, um, uh, going home, going to work, travel. These are the times that you can find time to sit and literally put yourself into a good state. And you want to practice it often. So let us say that you were practicing um, riding the bus and Anapanasati, and then you get to your stop, you get off the bus, and now you're going into the building to work. Mm -hmm. Well, while you're walking into work, that's another opportunity. Remember, hey, I do not have to think about all the work I've got to do when I get in the building. I can enjoy the walk into the building instead. <laughs> every moment, every opportunity to practice. If you remember. Mm -hmm. And so that's a skill to be, to be developed so that you've got it whenever you need it. And I understand that this is a completely different practice than what people call meditation. <laughs> they can have the word. They can have a whole lot of words. They can be Buddhist. We don't have to be <laughs> They can be meditators. We don't have to use that word. We can do something else. We don't need a word. Yeah, we don't need the word meditation. There's too many people doing something else that they call that meditation. Okay, well, they can call that meditation. It's actually a lot closer to the real meditation that they got the word from anyway, which is something that the Catholics were doing in the 1400s. Mm -hmm. yeah. But this is not what the Catholics were doing in the 1400s, which mm -hmm. is what the Buddha did 2,500 years ago, <laughs> which is be here now, be in this present moment. Mm -hmm. That's why he called himself the Tathagata. Which is? He did not call himself Buddha. He did not call himself Gautama or Sakya or Sakyamuni or any of that kind of stuff. He referred to himself as the Tathagata. Now the word Tathata actually means thusness, hereness, or the here now in the Pali language. And the Tathagata is the one who goes to the here now or come <laughs> that's what it actually means the one who is in the present moment mm -hmm. you can do that too you too can be a tatagata the one who is here now mm -hmm. that's what we're practicing we're practicing being in the present moment because this present moment is the only moment we've got and it is marvelous <laughs> If you know how to appreciate <laughs> So that's the way to practice. Mm -hmm. So once you get that going, now we can go a little bit deeper. And the deeper part would be how to sustain it. But the important mm -hmm. you is to get into it often. To get into it as many times as, as you can throughout the day. Later, we'll learn how to sustain that. But the important thing is to get into that state often. Dozens of times a day. Mm -hmm. For a short time. That's the way that you should practice. Taking, remembering to take a deep breath. 
and to relax and just have happy, wholesome thoughts. Mm-hmm. And and if you start doing that and you start locking it, then you'll extend it. It'll get longer and longer, almost naturally. Mm-hmm. So you can count on that for a while. So your number one job is to get yourself into a really good state as often as you can remember to. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, thank you. Got it. All right. Well, we'll see you later then. Thanks.